of my message this morning is it must be, and my intention is to tie the Easter story as told and read from Luke chapter 24, this passage is read from 1 Corinthians, and as we've been on a journey of looking at the spiritual gifts, two of those gifts, uh, the gift of miracles and the gift of healing, and that Easter just seems only appropriate that as we celebrate the ultimate miracle, the core miracle of our faith, the miracle which, as Paul just said in 1 Corinthians, if it didn't happen, we don't have anything to believe in. Um, it makes sense then to talk about the gift of miracles and healing that is connected with them and associated with them. So today what I want to talk about is the fact that um, belief is something that develops in us over time. And there's a whole lot of mystery to this. So when I first started in ministry, I first started preaching, I was full of all those wonderful ideas that they taught me in seminary and excited about my career. And I would come and preach and uh, people would say things like, I appreciate your sermon, or maybe you could talk a little slower or other comments along the way like that. And I didn't see a whole lot happening with it. And that really frustrated me because I'm kind of a logical person. It's always struck me that if I say something and it's true and you've heard it, you should do it. It should really be that simple. Um, but that's not actually how we work as human beings. You probably understand that as well. And so we need to own for ourselves that our belief, our ability to change how we understand the world and act accordingly, it, it's something that happens over time. It, it develops. And so Paul's main points um, and these two verses, 13 and 16, as they're on the screen, are if there's no resurrection of the dead. So he's arguing with people who are going, yeah, I want to believe in Jesus, but I don't actually believe resurrection happens. I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe in that kind of healing. He says, well, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Or, or if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. You can't actually have Christianity without miracles. There are lots of versions of believing or following Christianity that one sort of takes that really messy, miraculous resurrection truth out of the picture. And I think you can begin by having at least an emotional understanding of that, that it's hard for us to hang around in that realm of the miraculous on an ongoing and regular basis and to trust that. Um, I have prayed for miracles. I have also prayed at times thinking... I'm not sure I really believe this miracle is going to happen. And we need to struggle with that faith. That's part of what Easter is all about. But I want us to declare first and foremost, however, with Paul, that the logic of the resurrection, the logic of Christ being who he said he was, really is ironclad. Right? Our belief development isn't because it isn't a well-documented and understood thing that happened in Jesus' resurrection. It's that we as human beings struggle to give over our lives to allow that truth to actually shape all that we are and all that we do. So my favorite version of um, a proof of why you should believe in Jesus and his resurrection and Easter is uh, something C.S. Lewis put together that summarizes as liar, lunatic, or lord. And it goes basically like this. Either, because a lot of people want to say, Jesus, I like him as a good teacher. I don't believe in that resurrection. I don't believe he's the Lord. I don't believe he's the Son of God. Either Jesus was who he said he was, as is presented in the Gospels, as true. Or he's 
that's the liar because he said he was the Son of God and he said he would rise on the third day. You can't have Jesus as a good person because he's a good, only a good person because if he's a good person and he wasn't the Son of God, he's a liar and lying's not a good thing to do. I trust we all agree on that too. Or the other possibility is maybe Jesus was a lunatic. To be honest, some has some appeal. If you read through the gospel, some of the things that Jesus teaches are are crazy according to how we actually live. Now, if you grew up in the church, you've been inoculated against that. You probably don't even notice anymore. But all kinds of things that Jesus says, like go sell all you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. Right? Or the first are going to be last, right? Put the people who are the lowest in the positions of highest authority. Those kinds of upside-down thinking. All that seems rather loony. So if Jesus is who he said he was, then those seemingly crazy challenging things are simply true. Jesus didn't actually leave room for us, says Lewis, to say, hey, he was just a really good teacher. He was a good guy. He didn't leave that option. I don't think he intended to. Either he is the resurrected Lord of life, or he's a liar or a lunatic, and we should not follow him at all. So, I believe he is exactly help us go through the journey, and this might be a journey for you, and if you're on this journey right now, then interact with this, and um, by the way, if you ever want to connect with us at this church, um, if you're watching us online, you know our tagline is mountainviewtrc.org, and a little secret, you can write any name you want in front of that, any name, you, you don't know my name, just call me Bob at mountainviewtrc.org, and it'll get to me, it's amazing, so don't worry about not knowing exactly what my email address is, send it to mountainviewtrc.org. And I get it. So, we start with our normal, right? Everybody's journey starts with where you're at right now, your habit, your normal. And so, I, I want to back up to verse 56, the last verse of Luke 23, so the verse right before the passage we read on the Easter story, because it says, They went home, these women, and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. They were living as Jewish followers with this very straightforward pattern of life that you worked for six days, and on the seventh day you rested no matter what. And that included that when somebody you loved died, you did nothing around the funeral arrangements or the burial arrangements on that Sabbath day. You rested. And so they were living in that normal. So then on the first day of the week, beginning of chapter 24, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. All of us are on a trajectory. There's all kinds of things you do each day that are just the patterns of your life. They, if you look at them deeply enough, they show your values, right? So if you get up in the morning, eat breakfast, and then go brush your teeth, that means you've been trained and value the fact that you should have clean teeth so they don't rot, right? One very simple example. All of our lives are living out these Sabbath-like rituals and activities that show really the core of what we believe. We start with our normal. Second, we have an experience that catches our curiosity, and that leads to the change. So they went to the tomb. They're expecting, of course, to find the stone in the way and Jesus' body in there. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. It does beg the question, at least in this gospel, how did they expect to get to Jesus' body to anoint him with that stone there? We're not dealing with that today. And when they answered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, which made them curious, they started to wonder what in the world happened. 
And if we read in other Gospels, one of the things they thought was, well, maybe somebody had came and stole his body away. That was the thing that happened, right? It made them think, something's not going on the way I expected it to. And then when we live in our lives and you bump into something that doesn't happen the way you expect it to, it starts to make you think and wonder, maybe the way I see life isn't the way it is. So, when I was growing up, there were a whole lot of words we would use on the playground that were at least at the playground level assumed to be okay. I'm not going to say any of them because they're offensive. But that was the point. As I grew up, I started to learn that you can't say that about people. You can't say that to people. That is deeply offensive. As I started to learn about racism, particularly through the, uh, um, the death of Floyd over the course of this pandemic last year, I became more deeply aware that I actually hold racist values. They've been built into me as I live. That when I look at somebody, I start to make a judgment based on what they look like, right? And living in a place like I have for so many years, like Brampton, where um, being white is like a third in line behind those who are brown and black, you start to realize I have to adjust how I see things. My curiosity is piqued because I wanted to, like so many of us do, love everybody together because they look the same, and then I realized these are all individuals just like we are all individuals, and we don't all want to be lumped together, nor does anybody else. You have an experience that starts to catch your curiosity when, wait a minute, I don't think life works the way I thought it did. The Easter story is certainly that for us as we read it for the first time. And then you have a challenge to your worldview. This is when it gets sort of more to the core of who you are. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, right? If you they want your, your life to change and your values challenged, meet an angel, right? What's the first thing that always happens right after an angel shows up? People fall on the ground and the angel says, do not be afraid. Why? Because they're terrified, right? Terrifying things shape the way you live. When you're almost driven off a cliff, you realize, well, I better pay a whole lot more attention um, when I'm driving and I'm leaving. Challenge to your worldview. When I think I told you, boy, I'm going to just tell anybody to do telling stories. Oh, well. Um, I once went to the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship. Um, it's called the Airport Vineyard back in the day. And um, the speaker there was preaching about the work of the Holy Spirit, and the assumption was, this is a pastor's gathering, that all of us pastors would line up, and we lined up in the foyer, and we were going to be slain in the Spirit, because that's what we did here. That's not my worldview, in case you're wondering. I had never experienced this. I didn't actually really believe it happened. So I'm standing out in the foyer, and the guy in charge comes out through the door, so you can imagine in that entrance area here, he comes out from this space, through the door into that space, and I feel power. And again, I'm testifying, I did not believe that this guy had any more power than anybody else. And yet I felt power the minute he walked into the same room that I was in, and then he went by, and people were going down. And yeah, he came by me, and down I went. That changed my worldview. That made me have to think, yeah, I didn't believe in that. It still happened to me. There must be some truth in that. And that was part of my ongoing journey to figure out if Christ is risen, and if he's the Lord sitting on the throne Ascension Day, and if he sent the Holy Spirit, as we, as we read in, in, the, um, in Acts 2 at Pentecost, then there must be something about this Jesus and this Holy Spirit that he sent that's going to actually shape the way I experience this world. And I began to study it. 
and received a worldview that included the reality that Jesus actually acted in power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So sometimes we, we write off Jesus. This is my Pentecost sermon, by the way. You don't have to come on Pentecost anymore. Um, we actually often function, well, we write off what Jesus did because, well, he's the Son of God, so of course he could do that. But when Jesus was baptized, Luke chapter 3, as he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and he was empowered to do ministry. That's when he started preaching. That's when he started doing miracles. That's when he started acting out all the gifts that we've just been learning about, including healing. Jesus functions in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're called to function in the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything that Jesus did is also a call to us, and as he says somewhere in the Gospel of John, you will do even greater things than these. Now, probably that has to do with there's a whole lot more of us spread out all over the world, and so this resurrected Jesus, through the power of that Holy Spirit, is doing these miracles to us as people as we go. We saw the angels restored in verse 5, and their fright stood and bowed down with their faces to the ground. Fear and worship was an awful lot of life. Isn't that interesting? Right? To prostrate yourself before God is to lie on the ground before God. It's to be in the most conservative position to be recognizing, God, you are holy, you are powerful, you can do miracles, you can change lives, you can transform all that's going on in this world. But the men, the angels, said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he has risen. You need to transform your worldview to include the fact that Jesus is indeed risen. That's what it means to follow this Lord who's not a lunatic. And then, share a memory sandwich. First word in the passage as I have it up there is remember. Third last word is remember. That's the bread and sandwich, the meat's right in the middle. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the angels say, and this is a quote of Jesus, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Has it ever struck you when you're reading the Gospels? Like there's a heading in, in, in our version of the Bible that says, Jesus predicts his death. Jesus predicts his death a second time. Right? And I was wondering, he said it again and again and again. How did they not know this was going to happen? How were they not going, oh, well, Jesus is going to the cross. That's going to end up in resurrection. We'll be okay. How did they not see that? Well, my favorite preacher right now is a man named Tim Keller. And um, in one of his sermons, he talked about how he and some colleagues were interviewing prospective candidates for ministry, and each candidate would have the same sort of story where they say, well, I grew up in a church, but the gospel was never preached there, and then later I had this experience, and then I understood the gospel, and, and now I've been moved into ministry. And Keller was wondering, why is there so many churches not preaching the gospel? And then a wise man who was on this team with him said, let me tell you a story. I met a fellow once who said this very same thing, that, you know, I read that this particular book, and I read it, but it doesn't really proclaim the gospel very clearly. And then I had this experience, and then I knew Jesus, and then I understood the gospel, and, and here I am. And, and the wise man said to him, go back and read that book again. Go back and read that book again. And really, you focus that gospel on every single page. The point is, we don't hear truth until we're ready to hear that truth. I've driven down roads 
many, 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 many times, and then on the many, many times, looked to my left and said, is that my problem today? For some reason, I wasn't ready to see that. I was blinded. Jesus actually says, right, have eyes but not see, have ears but not hear. There's a timing thing. This is a God timing thing to this, right? As these people walked with Jesus and heard him say again and again, it must be that I'm handed over, crucified, and on the third day rise again, they couldn't yet see that. And so all of us, there are things that we have heard again and again and again because they have not yet landed. I told you a number of weeks ago about the gift of tongues, and I was guessing from what I've heard that's a reasonably new conversation among us in this community. As far as I know, that's me planting a seed. Somewhere along the line, you're probably going to bump into that kind of a, um, an experience. Someone around you is going to be speaking in tongues. You're going to have this urge that you're supposed to be receiving this gift. And then, I'll be able to say later, remember when I preached about that? And I hope that one. And then you're like, oh yeah, now I remember. Now I get it. All of us have these experiences. That there's this timing thing of when we're ready to receive it. Of course, as a preacher, I have this all of the time. Back when I'm allowed to stand in the back and shake your hands as you come out of a worship service like this, people would say to me, Pastor, that was great. I really appreciated when you said this. And I'll think, I'm not sure I said that. But you heard what you needed to hear within a good moment, with a good remembering sandwich. And all the things you've heard along the way and the timing of your life and what you were experiencing in the moment allowed you to hear the truth that Son of Man must be delivered, and then have repented, be crucified, and on the third day he be raised again. We don't know. Jesus can tell us when he is going to come through. But I tell you the truth: if in this moment you are experiencing weariness, this must be true also for you. Again, if you ever contact us as a church, I have somebody to know who knows Jesus and has that conversation. And then once you get it, once your eyes are open, put it in your own words. I've often said the best way to learn is to teach. The best way to find out if you truly understand something is to put it in your own words and try to tell it, try and tell it to somebody else. When they came back from the tomb, the women who saw the angel, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. You will know that you were convicted of a truth, and you can't wait to start telling other people about it. Nikki Gumbel in the Alpha program, um, one of my favorite sources of all illustrations, tells the story of this young man who goes, I'm really ready to commit my life to Jesus. I'm really ready to, to commit. But I don't want to have to tell other people. I don't want to have to evangelize after I've received Jesus into my life. And the wise leader said, all right, special dispensation to you. You don't have to. The person went on their knees and they prayed, Lord Jesus, come into my life. And they received Jesus and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they went and they told everybody right away about their experience of receiving Jesus. Because that was just the most natural thing to respond. When you are truly convicted about something, you want to proclaim it. If you truly believe that a particular hockey team that's found Maple Leafs, of course, is the greatest, you will put a flag on your car or truck or in front of your house. You want to proclaim that kind of a truth. When you have experienced something with Jesus, you're looking for opportunities to tell people, wait a minute, I think this Jesus experience I had might have something to do with this. Let's 
put the oxygen that's going to come in to the pigs. sing songs of worship and bow our hearts before you and hear the story again of that most incredible miracle where you came out the grave. You were not there, you were risen. You just did exactly what you said must be. And so Lord Jesus, we recognize in all the death that we experience in our world and in our lives that it must be. Let's just open our hearts. It must be. There must be a way that allows us to hang on, to hope, and to move forward, and to trust, and step out in faith, and to walk forward knowing that you've got this, that you're the conqueror, that in the end, that which is just a little stump of a grapevine that you sprout to out of it right now will produce the cup that you will drink Salvation, the fullness of the kingdom, the ready food for the world. Lord Jesus, give us that gift of faith to walk forward in Christ.